Okay, we're live. Hi, this is William Ramsey. Welcome to William Ramsey Investigates. On today's show, I have a very special guest. His name is Benny Morris, and he wrote two years ago a book titled The 30-Year Genocide, Turkey's Destruction of Its Christian Minorities, 1894 to 1924. And he co-authored it with Dror Zievi. But this is not Mr. Morris's first book. He's also written Israel's Secret Wars, A History of Israel's Intelligence Services, published in 1991. Israel's Border Wars, 1949 to 1956. Arab Infiltration, Israeli Retaliation, and the Countdown to the Suez War. That was published in 1994. Also, The Road to Jerusalem, Glub Pasha, Palestine and the Jews, 2002. 1948, A History of the First Arab-Israeli War, 2008. One State, Two States, Resolving the Israel-Palestine Conflict, 2009, and Righteous Victims, A History of the Zionist-Arab Conflict from 1881 to 1998, published in 2011. But this book was really a fascinating book. I really enjoyed reading it, and it really has a kind of a broad, broader angle lens of my understanding of this very important event that's commonly known, at least in the U.S., as the Armenian Genocide. But uh, Benny Morris can talk more about that. So, Mr. Morris, are you there? I'm here, sure. Awesome. Well, thanks for agreeing to the interview. For people who may not have heard you or read your earlier books, can you talk about your background and what led you to write The 30-Year Genocide? Well, um, previously, uh, from the 1980s, 1990s, uh, I'd written a series of books on the Israeli-Arab conflict, uh, the birth of the Palestinian refugee problem and so on. And after about eight or nine books, on the Israeli-Arab conflict, I decided I must find something else to do. I'll simply be repeating myself. And uh, I scouted around for a new subject. And uh, the idea of writing about the Armenian genocide um, caught my interest. And uh, that's what I uh, decided to embark on, uh, together with Drawers Evi. Right. So you guys kind of came together. We spoke in the pre-interview about you started maybe almost 10 years ago compiling and looking all this information. This is a very detailed book, very lengthy book. I highly recommend the book, but it's not just the focus of the Armenian genocide. You cover this three decades of this, what you call the destruction of its Christ Turkey's Christian minorities. Can you talk about the background and what really started off this kind of persecution of uh, Christians prior and leading up to what's known as the Armenian genocide? Yeah, well, when we started looking at it, as I said, we were going to going to look at uh, the killing or the ma massacres of the Armenians during World War I in 1915, 1916 by the Turkish government, by the Ottoman government. Uh, but as we delved into the subject, we saw basically that the subject was much wider and deeper, wider in the sense that it encompassed all of Turkey's Christian minorities. Uh, the, other, the other ones, apart from the Armenians, being the Greeks, who were about the same size. Um, there were about two million of them at the time in Turkey. And also Assyrians, of whom there were at least half a million. Assyrians being a sort of a smattering of different um, Christian communities who lived in eastern Turkey. And it also was deeper in the sense that it covered a 30-year span, not just those two years of World War I. So uh, as we got into the subject, we began to investigate the others, and we saw that the Turkish state from 1894 onwards essentially uh, was trying to get rid of their uh, Christian minorities whom they regarded as either subversive or potentially subversive and uh, potentially um, allies of the Christian powers around Turkey 
which Turkey suspected were interested in breaking up the Ottoman Empire and uh, taking chunks of Turkey for themselves. Uh, they saw them as, um, especially the Armenians, but also eventually the Greeks and the Assyrians as mortal, internal mortal enemies who had to be either destroyed or expelled. And this is what they did during this 30-year period. Right. And the, the kind of it was interesting because you still had the old Ottoman like ruler there. It was was it Abdul Hamid, I think was the head. And then even it kind of changed, but Turkey or the Ottoman Empire at that time was known as the sick man of Europe. It was heavily in debt, and there were encroachments happening also from the Russians and in the Balkans. Can you talk about the kind of geopolitical situation? that was encompassing the Ottoman Empire and its effect upon the, per, the Turkish perceptions? Yeah, the, the Turks felt uh, beleaguered and surrounded and victimized in some way um, by their Christian neighbors, that is, small peoples in Europe, the Greeks, the Serbs, the Bulgarians, uh, all in the Balkans, and, uh, of course, by the Russian Empire, which sort of uh, sat on top of them across the Blacks from the, the Black Sea. And there, there were um, a series of wars between the Ottomans and the Russians, and then also a series of wars between the, these small Balkan peoples who were trying to get uh, out of uh, the Ottoman domain, Ottoman rule, uh, and uh, uh, Istanbul, the Ottoman government. Um, and, and these wars led the Ottomans to believe that um, uh, they must also get rid of their internal enemies if the um, empire was going to survive. Right. So they saw themselves as being encroached, but also they wanted these internal groups. And some of these early massacres were very intense. Can you talk about some of what happened at Yazgat, Sasson? And so it was really in eastern Anatolia, uh, eastern Turkey or Anatolia. That, that section seemed to be really where the, the majority of this type of uh, genocidal impulse took place? Well, it began in 1894-1896 in a first major bout of a massacre in which something like 200,000 Armenians were slaughtered by the Turks, in other words, by the Turkish Ottoman, Turkish army, by police, and by their neighbors, Kurds and Turks, who lived in neighboring villages or were nomads who uh, attacked uh, Christian um, uh, villages and um, um, the, 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 the Turks began the mass slaughter of Christians in, in, in 1894-96. They began with the Armenians and it began, as you say, in eastern Turkey, where a large proportion of the population was non-Turkish. It was either Armenian or Kurdish, which is a, a Muslim, but not non-Turkish minority. Um, and the Ottomans feared that uh, the, the eastern provinces of the uh, of Turkey of Asia Minor would be uh, lopped off the um, empire uh, should the Armenians revolt. The Armenians didn't revolt and basically had a pretty low-key uh, national movement going, but the Turks suspected that this was on the rise and would ultimately threaten a dismemberment of Turkey. And that's why they began this series of massacres in 1894-96. They broke out in the beginning in a place you mentioned, Sassoon, which is in, in the center of eastern Turkey, um, where Kurdish tribes who were being used by the Ottoman authorities to hurt the Armenians began to attack Armenian villages 
and eventually it spread from Sassoon to other towns and villages around eastern Turkey. And it was suspected that, I mean, there was something that happened in Constantinople, which wasn't Istanbul yet, in 1895. The Armenians, after kind of these preliminary massacres, pogroms, whatever you want to call it, occurred, the Armenians tried to petition, or it's there's differing perceptions from different sides, but they went to Constantinople, which led to even further depredations. Can you explain what happened there? Yeah. The, the the problems in the east, basically the massacre of Armenians by the Turkish authorities in the east, led to pro a mass protest in Istanbul, which was also called Constantinople, um, by Armenians who lived in Constantinople. There were a large number, tens of thousands of Armenians living in Constantinople, and they uh, um, felt for what was happening to their brothers in the east, and they uh, mounted a big demonstration and wanted to give the government, hand the government a petition to stop the depredations in the East. And um, uh, essentially the uh, Ottoman authorities attempted to um, uh, disrupt this uh, demonstration, this protest, and began shooting. And from that uh, emerged a large-scale massacre inside Constantinople, inside Istanbul, of its Armenian minority. Several thousand uh, were massacred uh, there. And from that point on, the Turks, of course, portrayed what was happening as an attempt at a, 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 re a revolution or a revolt by the Armenians. And the Ottoman Sultan, Abdul Hamid II, passed the word to his officials in the localities, especially in eastern Turkey, to suppress the Armenians and to essentially oppress and kill Armenians. And then a series of massacres occurred in the various towns and in the villages in the east. And there was a suspicion the suspicion that the Sublime Port or the Sultan was directing the, the Turkish troops to do this through ciphered uh, missives or whatever. I don't know if that was ever proven, but that was a suspicion. So you can kind of see that there was this, even before the greater pogroms occurred uh, during World War I, there was something coming from Constantinople, correct? Yeah, it's a bit similar to what Hitler did to the Jews in the sense of the lack of evidence for which, which would show that Hitler actually gave his commanders an order to kill the Jews. There is no such order. Nobody's ever found one and there probably wasn't, was probably delivered orally. And the same happened in Istanbul. The, the Sultan was aware of the Christian powers and the Russians looking over his shoulder at what he was doing. And he didn't issue a public statement destroy the Armenians or kill 100,000 or 200,000 Armenians. He simply passed either through cipher or word of mouth or through delegates uh, the, the order to uh, um, um, initiate this mass killing in the various localities, in the various towns. Uh, so there is, historians have a problem here in uh, saying Abdul Hamid was directly the author of this order to um, massacre. Uh, but it's clear from the evidence we have local governors later telling people, telling foreign diplomats, telling missionaries that we did receive orders in one way or another from Istanbul to do what we did. Uh, of course, to cover their own hides as well, because they didn't, They were saying, we didn't initiate it. We were ordered to do it by our boss, the Sultan. Uh, so there is sufficient evidence, basically, to point the finger at Abdul Hamid as the author of this series of massacres in 1894-1896. And the testimony and statements of the missionaries and the foreign diplomats is an important co uh, component of your book, 
and the story of the 30-year genocide because they all took very detailed records, it seems like. Is that true? Yeah. The, one has to understand that Turkey had, had sort of, in the 19th century, opened up to the West. It wanted Western money, it was, wanted Western technology, and in order to do that, it had to allow the West to penetrate Turkey. And how did the West penetrate Turkey? Um, it sent consuls to the various towns around uh, in, uh, Turkey, in addition to the embassies in Constantinople, and it, it sent, or not in an organized fashion, but missionaries uh, from England, from mainly from America and Canada, but also from Germany and Sweden and, and Denmark. Uh, hundreds of missionaries flooded the localities around Turkey. The Turks didn't allow Muslims to convert to Christianity. If they did so, they were essentially uh, put to death. It was illegal to do that, to convert from Islam to Christianity. So what the, the missionaries did was they essentially worked with the Armenians and in some measure with the Greeks, but mainly with the Armenians in the various towns, especially in Eastern Turkey, to try to convert them to Protestantism or to Catholicism. Uh, but in doing so, they set up an educational system in the various towns in the East and Central Turkey and came to know the Armenians and were resident in the towns where these massacres then erupted in 1894-1896 and later um, during World War I. So they provided the, the missionaries and the foreign consuls, and I'm saying the Germans as well because the Germans uh, eventually were allies of Turkey in World War I, but their consuls also reported, especially in World War I, what the Turks were doing to Armenians and eventually Greeks, and all of this amounted to giant massacres. And the way that those massacres, you list all these uh, cities and places in detail, and they're really horrible events that happened. It was Trebizond, Maras, Harput, Urfa, but they all kind of played out somewhat similarly where, I mean, it's terrible to consider, but I think rape was part of it, and defiling, and also financial. Can you talk about how these massacres against the Armenians or the Christians kind of took place in that time right there in 1894-1896. Yeah, the, the massacres were accompanied by mass pillage uh, of Armenian property, destruction of Armenian homes or the takeover of Armenian homes by Muslims. Uh, they were accompanied, these massacres, by enormous uh, quantities and uh, numbers of rapes. That is, they raped Armenian women and girls uh, or abducted them and their children to Muslim homes and Islamized them, turned them into Muslims, um, uh, forced conversions. And we're talking about tens of thousands of cases, not a, a case here or there. Then this was part of the effort to suppress the Armenians and, if you like, to turn a large number of them, as many as possible, uh, into uh, Muslims. Um, so this accompanied what happened in 1894-96, but then repeated itself in 1915-1916 as the Armenian communities were in systematic fashion uh, destroyed, uh, exiled and destroyed uh, by um, the Ottoman authorities. This was all accompanied by mass pillage, which was one of the main um, reasons, one of the main motivations of the people who were doing the killing. They wanted Armenian property. They saw the Armenians and then afterwards the Greeks as wealthier than themselves, and they wanted their property, they wanted their workshops, they wanted their homes and fields, and they wanted their women and took them uh, in addition to killing many of those they raped. 
Right. So then they even like were traded in harems. They were given out to as like political, uh, you know, something valuable to friends or something like that. And the women said they were defiled, too. So their value, if they even if they went back to the Armenians, they were changed people. And the Kurds were also somehow involved as well, at least in that earlier period as well. So you saw this kind of part of that Islamic culture having its effect upon these Christians in those early pogroms and even on until 1914, 16. So after these kind of first horrible massacres occurred in 1894, 96, what happened in the intervening years up until World War One? that uh, how the Ottoman Empire developed and changed and then led to the next kind of series of uh, genocidal yeah. slaughters? Well, well, what happened um, between 1896 and 1914 was the Turks became more and more nationalistic. Uh, they began to think of themselves as of, of those who spoke Turkish and enjoyed a, a membership in Turkish culture as separate from other Ottomans, in other words, from the Christian minorities. And this sense of nationalism uh, integrated with their Islamic perspective, their Muslim perspective on the uh, Christians in their midst, whom they regarded as infidels, uh, who must remain subservient. The moment the uh, Armenians, who like the Turks, also began to become more nationalistic as Western nationalism sort of penetrated as, as an idea into the Ottoman Empire, it, they began, they, they felt that they had to suppress this Armenian, this rising Armenian nationalism, but side by side with that, to suppress these Armenians as infidels who were sitting on, on a, a Muslim land and threatened Islamic dominance. It's worth mentioning that among the leaders in the various pogroms against Christians in the, in the various towns in eastern Turkey, as well as in Istanbul itself, among the leaders of the, the mobs, if you like, were Muslim clerics and Muslim seminarians, people who were being trained to become clerics. And when when they, they were asked, anybody was asked, why are you doing this? Why are you killing these people? They said it's what the will of Allah. This is what the Quran demands of, demands of us against the infidels who are now raising their heads. And so, so all of this is happening kind of in this environment, but also the kind of great powers or European powers are watching this kind of uh, these events take place and develop. And also there was the first Balkan War, which affected the leaders, the young Turks, the top three kind of young Turks all had connections to lands that were lost to Christians at that time. So they were under the sensibility of being threatened. Can you talk about kind of what led up to the next levels of the really serious genocide that took place in 1914-16 you know, among the political leaders of Turkey at that time? Yeah, um, the Sultan was overthrown at the beginning of the 20th century and was replaced by what are called young Turks, that is, uh, army people who were um, very nationalist um, and wanted to throw out uh, the, the um, uh, Christians whom they regarded as a threat to the um, integrity of the empire. Some of the leaders, especially uh, Talat um, um, and Enver um, and, and uh, Ataturk, who succeeded them just at the end of the war, World War I, uh, all of them emerged essentially from 
Muslim communities in the Balkans, Muslim communities who had been attacked and in some way oppressed and even um, despoiled by the Christians when the Christians rebelled or attacked uh, Muslims in the Balkans. So they arrived from the Balkans, them or their families from the Balkans. They fled the Balkans, lost their property in the Balkans, um, and arrived in uh, uh, Turkey and Istanbul. And then when they took power uh, around 1908, 1909, um, um, they in some way unleashed revenge against these Christians who had despoiled them and harmed their families back home in the Balkans. Uh, so in other words, it wasn't just economic reasons. It wasn't just nationalist reasons. It wasn't just Islamic reasons behind these massacres. Um, uh, but also a desire for revenge. And this is certainly clear in 1915-1916 uh, when this major bout of violence called the Armenian Genocide was unleashed by the Ottoman, by the Ottoman government led by these young Turks uh, uh, during World War I. And I saw, just like you mentioned, I saw a lot of similarities to the Holocaust in this event. There was a lot of scapegoating and blaming. There was this battle of Sarah Karmish where the Armenians got almost like this same thing the Nazis did. They blamed the Jews. And uh, can you talk about kind of the blame shifting and the kind of uh, view before the genocide took place that the Armenians were not, uh, you know, loyal enough or not patriotic enough? Yeah, um, there are a lot of similarities between the genocide of the Jews, the Holocaust, and World War II by the Nazis and what the Turks did to their Christian minorities. One of the uh, one of the common aspects is, as you say, the scapegoating or blaming the victim for what actually happened. In other words, you're busy slaughtering millions of people, but you blame the people who are slaughtered for for their slaughter. Uh, the the Germans blame the Jews for in some way um, causing a disintegration of German culture and German society, um, and uh, the Turks uh, blamed uh, the Christians for the same, as well as uh, um, saying that it was the Christians who brought this down on themselves by rebelling, which they hadn't really done, but this is how uh, the, the Ottomans presented it. And in the beginning, in 1914-15, they pointed to this specific battle between the Ottoman uh, army and the Russian army, which sort of invaded or reached uh, the, the outskirts of the Ottoman Empire and they in Sari Kamish and there they blamed the Armenians uh, who lived in the area for stabbing uh, the Ottoman soldiers in the back. This is all nonsense, essentially nonsense, even though there were some Armenians in the Russian army, but there were many more uh, Armenians in the Turkish army, but the Turks nonetheless blamed the Armenians for it and this in some way triggered the discussions which led up to the decision in March, April, 1915, to slaughter the Armenians wholesale. And they had, they set up what you uh, call a term, or it was called the special organization. So they were knowingly intending to de-Christianize the empire. It was interesting because Henry Morgenthau was the ambassador to Turkey at that time, who you said was another excellent uh, source of documentation for the event. Can you explain the beginnings of how that genocide took place? and how yeah. it was implemented at that time? Okay, Henry Morgenthau was the American ambassador to Istanbul, and the consuls in all the various localities, he had about 20 of them in the various towns, especially in eastern 
um, uh, Eastern Turkey, he received reports of what was coming in day by day from his consuls and also from some of the missionaries. So he was sort of abreast of events. He knew exactly what was happening. And eventually he kept the diary, which is, has been published. And later he wrote an autobiography about this period in his life. Uh, so we know from his, and he also met all the Ottoman leaders, the young Turkish leaders all the time. So he knew from them firsthand what they were doing. He, he sort of said to them, what are you doing? And they said, we're getting rid of these Christians because they're a threat to our um, a, a, a integrity, to the integrity of the empire and to the state as this war is going on. Um, it began um, uh, essentially in April 1915, that is the genocide of the Armenians, which led to a the slaughter, say, during 1915-16 of something between 600,000 and 1 million Armenians. Armenians always said the number was larger. Modern historians have reached the conclusion it was a bit less, but it was somewhere between 600,000 and 1 million Armenians who murdered during that one year. And it all began, and it was all planned, and this is one of the reasons we know it was all planned, because it worked in a systematic fashion. It advanced in a systematic fashion from the killing, the roundup and killing of Armenian leaders, especially national leaders in Istanbul, but also local leaders in the various uh, towns around the, 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 the country. And then uh, in the disarming of Armenian soldiers, the Armenians were part of the Ottoman army. By this time, they were um, also conscripted like other um, uh, Ottoman subjects. They disarmed the soldiers, put them in labor battalions, or shot them outright or left them in these battalions to die of starvation and disease. Um, and then orders went out to the various localities to round up the Armenians in town after town and kill, kill the men so that they wouldn't be able to actually resist. And then take the women and children and march them to the desert. And they uh, sent off giant caravans, giant processions of women and children from each town. We're talking about thousands of people in each one of these convoys. Uh, mostly by foot, uh, they were sent to the eastern deserts, in other words, the deserts of Syria and uh, Iraq from central uh, Turkey, from western Turkey, from eastern Turkey. They were sent off in these giant caravans. Many of the women, probably uh, 70, 80 percent of the women and children and old people um, were, were killed or died in these, um, you know, thousand mile marches uh, without food and water uh, you know, and so on, uh, beaten, shot and whatever after their menfolk had been systematically slaughtered um, before by the Turks uh, when they rounded everybody up. Um, the second stage of the, the massacre, if we're already talking about the Armenian genocide of 1915-16, was when about 20% of these uh, people in these convoys, in these processions, ended up sort of settled or resettled in the Syrian desert. Um, they were again subjected to a mass slaughter in um, the spring of 1916, when tens of thousands more were killed systematically in, 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 the, in the deserts. Um, yes. Sorry. And they were they were supposedly, we're going to resettle you, but the real intent was... Yes. Well, this is another, another similarity to what Hitler did in, in World War II with the Jews. The Jews were usually told when they were <laughs> deported from their towns and villages, especially from Germany, but also from Holland and France, that they were going to be resettled in the East. That was the phrase. They didn't tell them we're going to murder you. They used deception. They said, you're going to be resettled in the East, which, of course, reduces the possibility of, of resistance. Um, they did the same, the Turks, with their Ar Armenians and later on with the Greeks, but especially with the Armenians. They told them, you're going to be resettled in the East 
meaning in this case, the Syrian and Iraqi deserts. And of course, as we know, most died on the way to those um, places. And then eventually many of them were killed there as well. And uh, well, there's a question from John Brisson. He's asking about the Dame. Wasn't there kind of a Jewish population in the Ottoman Empire at that time? And how did they fare through this whole tumultuous period? It's, it's interesting. The Ottomans, also under Abdul Hamid, but also under the Young Turks and under uh, Mustafa Kemal, who set up uh, the Republic of Turkey on the on the ruins of the Ottoman Empire, all of them related uh, basically well towards the Jews. There were only several tens of thousands of Jews in the in the in Turkey. There wasn't a large population. It wasn't like two million Greeks or one and a half to two million Armenians. We're talking about several tens of thousands. There were also some hidden Jews, like Maranos in Spain, people who sort of kept their Judaism um, uh, hidden in their houses and practiced some of the Jewish religion, but but they were a small number and also insignificant. But the Jews themselves, those who were understood to be Jews, professing Jews, were left alone essentially because they were um, um, so, so small in number and, of course, not nationalistic. They represented no threat at all. And just killing them or persecuting them would have aroused anger also in, in among the allies of Turkey, Austro-Hungary, and the Germans in World War II, but also, of course, American and Western anger. So there was no point in doing that and killing them. They were left alone. Right. They were called the Donme. Is that correct? Is that well, the right the term? The Donme are those who hid their Judaism. Oh, that was the name for the hidden world. Right. Adherence. And some, some, some uh, I don't know, We don't. nobody knows the number, but there were thousands of those who descended from Jews who had converted officially to Islam, but also retained their uh, Jewish faith in some way in hiding. And that kind of had to happen with there was a significant proportion of the persecuted Christians who converted to only later to kind of make their way back to Christianity. Is that correct? They, yeah. They talk about during, both during 1894-96 and during World War I, um, the Turks made a point of uh, trying systematically, though there were questions about this at certain points, but tried basically systematically to, con to um, force Christians to convert to Islam. And tens of thousands, we know, maybe even over more than 100,000, maybe 200,000, we don't know the exact numbers, but many, many converted to Islam as a way of, of avoiding uh, death. Uh, some of these reverted to Christianity afterwards, when it was allowed after Turkey, for example, was beaten in the war in 1918 by the Western powers. They, um, uh, you know, rounded up some of these people who've, who had become Muslims and now wanted to become Christian. There was always a problem, especially for women uh, and children, once they'd converted to come back to their Christianity and Christian communities, because basically the Christian communities from where, where they had sprung were dead. Everybody, they'd been killed, their grandparents, their parents, their brothers, their sisters, uh, they'd all been murdered by the, the Turks. And even if they hadn't been, uh, once you converted to Islam uh, uh, and had been raped or uh, were, were married to a, a Muslim, uh, they were no longer clean in the sense of Christians willing to now uh, marry them, for example, women. So many women simply didn't go back to Christianity, even though they'd been forced to marry Muslims because they had nowhere else to go. Right. And I mean, you mentioned in your book, there was like uh, one whole city it was Van or V-A-N. 76,000 Armenians, nothing left, just totally stripped. Not even one Armenian well, left this after. Is, this is true about most of 
most of them, uh, the, the, the towns, especially in the east of Turkey, tens of thousands of Armenians did survive um, the war um, in uh, Istanbul, where there were a lot of Western journalists, Western diplomats, um, uh, the West Western powers could sort of uh, look at what the Turks were doing firsthand, and the Turks were uh, eager to avoid condemnation, so they left the Armenians and the Greeks in Istanbul essentially intact, at least at the end of world, by the end of World War One. Later, almost all of them vanished eventually also because there were pogroms against Greeks and so on. And uh, the Greeks essentially fled Istanbul as well after World War One and after World War Two. But, uh, but there were communities there. But in the East, there were places, uh, whole towns where no Armenians remained at all. They were simply massacred or had been forced uh, to convert. Right. And then there was also this whole Greek persecution and there's still bad blood between Turkey and Greece to this day. Can you talk about what happened to the Greek population? Okay. Yeah, the Greeks were left alone by the Turks during 1894-96. The massacres of the Christians then essentially focused almost exclusively on Armenians. But during but before World War I broke out, um, the Turks, uh, Europe was in a shaky condition. There was fear that there would be war. And the Turks um, uh, exiled uh, tens of thousands, perhaps up to 150,000 Greeks from where they lived along the coast of the Aegean, uh, which is Western Turkey, and from along the um, southern coast of the Black Sea, where, where the Greeks had essentially concentrated for basically two or 3,000 years. They'd lived there in these coastal areas. Uh, the, the Turks rounded many of them up and forced them to go to Greece. There, there were some pogroms as well, but essentially they were told, just get out. They were put on boats and uh, fled. Um, uh, this was before World War I. This was, uh, we're talking about the period January, May, 1914. Once the war broke out, the Turks then um, pushed down against the Greeks uh, far more seriously. Uh, also fearful that the Greeks along the coast would welcome Western armies uh, um, who might invade Turkey and uh, make common cause with invaders. And so they exiled uh, during the course of World War I a great number, hundreds of thousands of Greeks uh, from these coastal areas and pushed them inland. Again, repeating what they had done to the Armenians, they essentially uh, set them on the road in giant convoys, often killed off the men and sent them into the interior of um, uh, Turkey. Um, uh, where many of them, uh, tens of thousands, died during World War I. Uh, by the, at the following World War I, and here we get into a complicated international situation, Turkey lost the war. And the Western powers, that is uh, Britain, France, and Italy, sent uh, detachments of troops into Turkey to sort of occupy parts of the, the, the um, uh, parts of Turkey. Uh, and Istanbul as well was taken over by Western, the Western armies. Um, um, the Ottoman army, which had lost the war, but didn't feel that they'd lost it fairly or that they'd been totally defeated because Turkey itself wasn't invaded in the course of World War I. Only um, the armies fought on the peripheries of, uh, the, the, of Turkey, not inside Turkey itself. So many Turks didn't even know they had lost the war. Um, when the Western uh, armies occupied Turkey, um, um, uh, this gave rise to a nationalist movement led by uh, um, an Ottoman officer uh, called Mustafa Kemal, later called Ataturk. Um, and he sort of 
uh, mobilized Turkish energies and ex-soldiers and uh, new soldiers uh, to fight off these uh, occupying forces, the British, um, uh, but essentially the French and the Greeks. The Greeks joined the war against Turkey in 1917. They waited, the Greek, that is the Greek state. Greece had joined the war in 1917. Um, and in 1919, they, the Greek army um, uh, landed in Izmir, which is Turkey's second largest city, was Turkey's uh, second largest city along the Aegean coast and occupied Izmir and then drove inland. So there were three, essentially three occupying armies in Turkey at the beginning of 1919, the Greek army in, on the west coast, the French army in southern Turkey, and the, the British, which was strung along in various places, but especially in Istanbul. The Turks, uh, the Turkish nationalists rebelled against these, especially against uh, the French and the Greeks, and a war of independence, as the, the Turks called it, ensued in which uh, Kemal uh, Ataturk's forces fought against these occupying powers. While doing this, they also oppressed and eventually killed off and exiled uh, the remaining uh, Greek populations in Turkey, uh, who, as I said, at the beginning of World War I, uh, numbered something close to 2 million. Uh, by the end of the period, 1924, um, maybe 100, 200,000 Greeks remained in Turkey. Yeah, and I think I've seen the videos of the during that time where they were bombing Izmir. I think Izmir was Ephesus, right? If I mean that's what they would call in the West. Well, that's Ephesus it. is near Izmir. I don't, near I'm Izmir. not sure that's the name. Yeah. Okay, maybe it's not. Uh, but I, I do remember seeing the footage of that uh, them being shelled and the Greeks being uh, forcibly yeah, yeah. What evacuated. Happened, what happened? What happened in? What happened is that the Greeks, uh, the Greek army, which had landed on the Aegean coast, pushed inland and Ataturk's forces fought it to a standstill uh, before they managed to reach Ankara, which was um, uh, Ataturk's capital. And then Ataturk's army uh, counterattacked and eventually drove the Greek army to the coast and then onto their boats and back to Greece. Uh, along with this army moving westwards towards the coast, uh, hundreds of thousands of Greeks uh, fled their homes and villages, uh, towns and villages, in uh, western um, uh, Turkey and ended up essentially in the ports, especially in Izmir, hoping to get out of uh, Turkey uh, once the, their army, the Greek army, had been defeated. Um, the Turks who entered uh, Izmir on the 9th of September killed thousands of Armenians in the town and then began to kill Greeks in the town. Eventually, many thousands were killed. Nobody knows the figure. Some people threw out the figure later of 100,000 people who were murdered in Izmir. Probably the figure was several tens of thousands. But on the 13th of September, 1922, the Greeks, the Turks, after conquering Izmir, set fire to the Armenian quarter in the town and eventually the Greek area in town forcing the remaining population of the town and the refugees who had entered the town um, uh, to sort of rush towards the sea, rush towards the coast, to, to the seashore. And uh, they, they were the, there, they were sort of caught between the fire raging in the town and the water, um, um, and thousands more died there. Eventually, the Turks agreed to let them go, in other words, to let them flee, and Western gunboats and the uh, Greek trawlers took them off the, the, the shore there and uh, took them all back to, you know, not back, but took them to Greece. In other words, about 300,000 Greeks um, ended up during those months, September, October, 
1922, after the burning of uh, the European quarters, the Western quarters of Izmir, uh, ended up um, uh, in exile in Greece. Altogether, by the end of 1924, something like one between one and one and a half million uh, Greeks ended up as exiles from Turkey in Greece itself. Wow, yeah, it's just went on for those three decades. Really incredible stuff. I have a question from a listener. It's uh, Mr. Morris, do you have a theory of why this has never been classified as a genocide? Why do the Turks get a pass? Well, it depends what the, the questioner is asking about. Uh, the, the, Turks have always, the Turks have always denied that they committed genocide against the Armenians. That was usually the charge. The Armenians said they committed genocide against us. The Turks said no. There were only a small number of massacres. It wasn't a, a centrally organized. And the Armenians were to blame because they had revolted against us. So basically it was a fight between Armenians and Turks. And the Armenians died as well as Turks. That's the Turkish explanation of what happened. We know that uh, from our uh, the, the masses of evidence we accumulated, we know that there was a genocide. It was centrally organized, and uh, uh, somewhere between one and one and a half million Armenians eventually died during this thirty-year period at the hands of Turks. And this can certainly be called genocide. They meant to kill them, and they did kill them, and they destroyed their cultural environment, their churches, their graveyards. Everything which was Armenian was destroyed or taken over and converted. To the use of Muslims, uh, churches were turned into mosques and so on. Uh, you go today to our, uh, Turkey, incidentally, you'll find almost no Armenian churches at all. There were thousands of them, literally, in 1914. Today, maybe there's three or four Armenian churches with no congregations because there aren't any Armenians. Um, um, the Greeks also, over the years since 1924, have maintained that they were subjected to a genocide. And this has gotten very little publicity in the West. Uh, the Greeks maintained that as many as a million or even more than a million Greeks died. We don't know the real number. It was certainly in the hundreds of thousands. Uh, there, though, unlike with the Armenians, most of the Greeks ended up as exiles rather than in graves. In other words, most of them were expelled from Turkey rather than killed. But as I say, hundreds of thousands were also massacred by the Turks, and this could also be uh, called a genocide. Lastly, Assyrians as well got even less publicity than uh, Greeks, but something like 250,000 or 300,000 uh, Assyrians uh, were also massacred by the Turks uh, during this 30-year period. And there, as I say, even... Uh, Fewer right. people know. I'd never that. even heard about that. I'd never even yeah. heard of that that element well, of this whole event. Yeah. If you talk to an Assyrian, and there are descendants of the Assyrians, because about half of them survived this thirty-year uh, period, and then ended up essentially in exile, initially in Iraq and or Russia, and then eventually many of them moved to the West. I once met a taxi driver, the first Assyrian I ever met. I was a taxi driver taking me to the airport in uh, London. And he, of course, said they immediately talk about the genocide of Assyrians, which, as I say, nobody basically heard about because they were less literate. They didn't publicize it. Armenians were more literate. They uh, pr produced and published lots of memoirs. Um, uh, the Greeks less so. And uh, it's still a political issue here in the States, whether I think you can call that the Armenian genocide. And there's a huge kind of memorial, I think, in Armenia that memorializes this horrific event. And uh, I've seen them, Armenians from here travel back to kind of the homeland to, and that's part of their kind of trip back to the homeland is to memorialize these, this genocide. Well, so yes, the, the, 
There is a large memorial and collection of um, documents of various sorts, uh, photographs, etc., in Yerevan, in the Republic of Armenia. The problem is that the descendants, those who survived and their descendants from the massacres weren't, of course, people from Armenia. They were people from Turkey who, had li- who were Armenians living in Turkey. And for them, there are no memorials in Turkey at all. In fact, quite the opposite. If you, we traveled, I was traveled with Dror Zevi, the co-author, in Turkey a few years back, and we ended up um, crossing a gorge in, in a road course, which crossed a gorge, a, um, a, a chasm, a, of, yeah, yes, valley. Yes, sort of a chasm with a, a running uh, river un- underneath. And in this gorge, and we have actually a photograph of, of it in our book, in the, over the, overlooking this gorge, there's a memorial and, and Turks traveling, uh, tourists traveling around it, uh, Turkey, tourists who end up at the site, uh, see a memorial there overlooking the gorge. And the memorial is for Turkish soldiers who died when their truck overturned and fell into the gorge. But there's no mention at all there on this memorial that tens of thousands, literally, of Armenians had been slaughtered in this gorge. They'd been taken to the towns of the the, uh, Black Sea coast and taken to this gorge and slaughtered systematically there uh, during World War I and after World War I, also Greeks. Uh, But there's no memorial for them at all, nowhere in Turkey. What a great discussion. What an excellent book. I could not recommend this book enough. It is really detailed. A lot of information that I'd never heard of, like the Assyrians, things like that. I learned a lot about this book. Where's the best place for the listener to obtain the 30-year genocide? Probably Amazon. Amazon. And do you have a website, Benny, or do you have uh, another place where people can get signed copies or anything? I'm afraid not. Um, when I come to America, sometimes I'm invited to bookshops and and there I sign copies, but I'm afraid I don't have a website or <laughs> what, sign what, copies. Yeah. What, well, yeah. uh, what about <laughs> social media or an email if people want to reach out to you? One, one second. It's, yes, that, that, that I can give you. But it's worth mentioning that the book did come out in paperback. It originally came out in hardcover with Harvard University Press in 1919. Yeah, and person. now, a few months ago, they issued it in paperback. So it's available now in paperback. Um, I do have an email uh, if people want to uh, ask something about the, this um, the multiple genocide in effect. It's, it's morrisbenny8 at gmail.com. I'll put it in the show notes so that people, if they okay. want to ask you any questions or anything, they can reach out. And you have so many other books, too. I, you know, I don't think I listed all of your writings, but they go back to 1991. Well, that, that would have taken, unfortunately, too much time. Benny, I can't thank you enough. What a great talk really uh, opened my eyes to this whole event. I mean, putting in a third year, I really didn't know so about some of the earlier things that happened in that historical era in Turkey. So I'm really grateful that you took the time to uh, share your information with us. Thanks so much. My pleasure. My pleasure. Stay there. Hold on. All right.